Music marks the times of our lives, reminds us of days gone by, and inspires today's and tomorrow's hits. Hi, I'm Dee Dwayne, and welcome to The Real Deal, spotlighting the best music and the biggest artists of yesterday, providing an insight of just what made them so great. If you take the power and the dynamics of a James Brown concert, mix it with the rock energy of the Rolling Stones, and then top it all off with four beautiful long-legged ladies in short miniskirts, you would have the beginning formula of the Ike and Tina Turner Review. Now, of course, you would have to add a stoic-looking, serious-faced, beautiful haircut-wearing band leader in order to complete the mix. <laughs> Ike Turner knew he had something special, something that hadn't been seen or even heard of in 1958. Call it fate, call it an accident, or maybe just good luck. As soon as Ike heard Anime Bullock's voice, he knew she was a star. Now Ike knew talent when he saw it. He easily recognized star power and he knew just how to refine it and turn it into something big, something unique, and something very special. This was just the foundation of the creation of the Queen of Rock, Tina Turner. You are about to enjoy an amazing story of perseverance and success as well as the timeless music of one of the most successful female artists of our time. My name is Dee Dwayne and welcome to The Real Deal as we are proud to present the life and the music of Miss Tina Turner. This story begins with a songwriter, a band leader and a producer by the name of Ike Wister Turner. Ike was a pioneer of what has become known as rock and roll and has been credited with recording the first rock and roll record in 1951 called Rocket 88. Ike built his band, The Kings of Rhythm, into a popular nightclub attraction in St. Louis, Missouri, and that's where he met Anna Mae Bullock. He eventually recorded Anna Mae's voice singing background on a few songs and began to teach her voice control and stage presence techniques. In 1960, singer Art Lasseter was chosen to be the frontman for the Kings of Rhythm. Ike had written a song for Lasseter. He called it A Fool in Love. When Lasseter didn't show up for an already paid for expensive recording session to record the song, Ike allowed Little Ann to sing the song as a reference track for Lasseter. The song made its way to a regional radio station in St. Louis and impressed one radio disc jockey so much that he told Ike to send the record to Sue Records president, Juggy Murray. As soon as Juggy heard the song, Murray was so impressed, he bought the musical rights to the song and gave Ike a $20,000 advance for it. He convinced Ike to keep Ann's voice on the track. Ike then named the song's backing female trio, the Ikeettes, and also gave little Ann the name Tina Turner. He gave her this name to prevent her from running off with it. He felt that if Ann ever left, he would just give another woman the name Tina Turner. Can you imagine that? He also gave her the name to discourage other men from becoming interested in her. In an effort to retain his star power, he renamed the entire outfit the Ike and Tina Turner Review. Released in July of 1960 and reaching the number two spot on the R&B chart, here is their first taste of major success, a full in love on The Real Deal. There's something on my mind Won't somebody please Please tell me what's wrong You're just a fool You know you're in love What you say You got to face it 
It didn't take long for Ike and Tina's friendship to become more intimate as they continued to work close to create their next hit. Now, even though the group was called Ike and Tina Turner Review, they actually weren't married at this time. In fact, Ike has stated on several occasions that out of all of his wives, he was never legally married to Tina. Hmm. Well, anyway, their next big hit was a song that Tina really didn't like. The song hit number two on the R&B chart and earned them their first Grammy Award nomination. Here's It's Gonna Work Out Fine. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal. Yes, Tina. You start to get next to me. Honey, that was my plan from the very beginning. Darling. Uh-huh. I never thought that this could be. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. Your lips set my soul on fire. You can feel my one desire. Oh, darling. Yes, Jack. I think it's going to work out fine. It's going Tell you something, I, I can't. Uh-huh. I've been to see the preacher man. The preacher man? You must be losing your mind. I started. Started what? Started making wedding plans. Oh, really? Seemed to be moving fast and going slow for Ike and Tina. According to Tina, they would eventually get married in 1962 in Tijuana. The entire review relocated from East St. Louis to Los Angeles in 1960. Doing concert performances 300 days a year to make up for the lack of hit records put a strain on Tina. Ike ended his contract with Sue Records and signed with the Kent label. A year later, he signed with Warner Brothers Records. Ike began experimenting with cocaine and frequently would become enraged and violent with little or no provocation. The frustration of not getting a hit record caused him to take his frustrations out on the people around him and especially Tina. In 1968, after another violent confrontation with Ike, Tina bought 50 volumes and swallowed them in an attempt to end her life before a show in Los Angeles. 
Finally, in November of 1969, they were invited to tour with the Rolling Stones as the opening act. In late 1970, while on a break from touring in Florida, the band recorded their cover of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Proud Mary. The song was released the following January and became the duo's best-selling single to date, selling well over a million copies and later winning them a Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group. You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. There's just one thing. You see, we'd never, ever do nothing. Nice. Easy. We always do it. Nice. And rough. But we're going to take the beginning of this song and do it easy. But then we're going to do the finish. Rough. The way we do. Proud Mary.
things were good and things were not so good. Here's Tina explaining why she even got involved with Ike. Going to St. Louis, getting involved with Ike Turner, which was like a seed planted and, and which grew into like a small tree. And then after the tree started to blossom, so to speak, this was Ike and I had gone quite far together. I knew already, I told him the first few years that we wouldn't be together forever because I, I was very unhappy with him. But I said that I owe you something. I feel that I owe you something. And I will stay with you until you get that. Now what that was, was Bollock Sound, quite a bit of money. There was quite a few houses and apartments. Sure. So what, what did I need to do then? I mean, stay around there to get hit for what? I didn't marry him from my heart. But you see, I didn't consider myself married. I, I was doing as I was told, like everything else. And so then it went ahead that my children at least had a marriage. They felt that there was a marriage there. I felt that it was good for them. Ike and Tina's relationship problems grew worse and more intense as Ike's drug addiction increased and spun out of control. Finally, on July 27, 1976, Tina Turner filed for divorce on the grounds of irreconcilable differences. Ike and Tina fought for a year in divorce court, arguing over money and property. By late 1977, Tina decided to stop her pursuit of any financial earnings, including an apartment complex in Anaheim, stating to her lawyer that her freedom was more important. Tina also agreed to retain only the use of her stage name. The divorce proceedings ended in November of 1977 and was finalized in March of 1978. Although very difficult and time-consuming, Tina managed to persevere and succeed using the concert successes from her performances with Rod Stewart and the Rolling Stones to secure a three-album deal with Capitol Records. John Carter of Capitol Records is credited with relaunching the career of Tina Turner in the 1980s. In 1983, despite opposition within Capitol, he signed and managed the production of her first album, Private Dancer. The album itself was produced in England using several different producers. His hunch was right and he knew it as on November 7, 1983, Capitol Records released Let's Stay Together, which would be the beginning of a remarkable comeback. You're listening to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com. Let me say the sense, baby, since we've been together, ooh, loving you forever. All I need Let me be the one you come running to
The private dancer album propelled Tina into becoming a viable solo star as well as one of the most marketable crossover singers in recording history. The album became a worldwide commercial success, earning multi-platinum certifications in Australia, Canada, Germany, the United Kingdom, and the United States. To date, it remains her biggest selling album in North America. Private Dancer produced seven hit singles. Tina's ability to give energy and raw emotion to the well-produced songs showcased her power as a soulful rock goddess. The album was promoted throughout 1985 and in a 177-date worldwide tour called the Private Dancer Tour. The second release from the album has also become Tina's signature song. Up until the release of What's Love Got To Do With It, Tina Turner had not had a U.S. Top 10 single since the early 1970s. The single went to number one on the U.S. Hot 100 and remained there for three weeks, becoming Tina's first and only solo number one hit in America. The song also peaked at number three on the United Kingdom singles chart. Tina Turner was 44 when the song hit number one and at the time making her the oldest solo female artist to place a number one song on the U.S. Hot 100.
Tina Turner's solo career was on a roll, and the hits just kept coming and the scheduling of a world tour was in the planning stages. At the 27th Grammy Awards in 1985, Better Be Good To Me won the Best Rock Vocal Performance Female, one of four Grammys won by Tina at that evening's ceremony. to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com and my name is Dee Dwayne. Tina Turner's comeback consisted of top-selling albums and record-breaking concert tours. In 1988, Tina made history by performing in front of the largest paying audience, approximately 184,000 people, to see a solo performer at Mercana Stadium in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. 
which earned her a spot on the Guinness World Records. Her next hit, Private Dancer, reached the number three spot on the R&B chart. Here's Tina discussing how she's perceived in America. What I give off on the stage, any man would approach me like, hey, Tina, baby. And I, I never like it, but I can't correct it because that's what I do on stage. It's my work. I think people don't take singers as serious as they do actresses. Some actresses do worse things than I've ever done on stage, and they're treated with respect. Mm -hmm. But being that most rock singers or whatever, and, and being, being labeled as rock singer, I think people think that they can be very loose and disrespectful in some kind of way. When I was raising my sons, I didn't allow slang in the house, even, even back in those times. And I cared a lot about manners with them, their table manners and how they live. I think it came by how I was raised, more by the lady in Tennessee, because actually I would say the lady I worked for raised me a little bit more than I would say my mother did because my mother and father left. But it was within me, it was within my own nature to be attracted to class, manners, etc. And so what I, I surround myself with it because it's really what I want. America now is applauding me once again. The first applause was actually a private dancer album because it came from out of nowhere, a foreign land, and finally... It's a glorious album. Yes, and at that time it was a celebration from, i say, every country because for as long as I've worked, everybody's wanted, have wanted music. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's basically I, I was not known in the past for my music. It all just started. It feels very good because I feel that it took a lot of work to get, to pull even America, my own home, my own homeland to finally support me in that sense. It won't last, <laughs> never last. Success in America, what I find with my homeland, nothing lasts very long. It'll last until I have to come back in a, maybe a few years with something else to really wake them up and, and help them to remember mm -hmm. me. Europe is different. Your private dancer, a dancer for money. I'll do what you want. 
singer Ann Peebles co-wrote Tina's next hit. It seemed like Tina Turner could sing anything. She could sing pop, rock, and soulful R&B. I Can't Stand the Rain was released in March of 1985 and reached the top 10 in the U.S. and number 2 in France. I can't stand the rain against my window Bringing back sweet memories can't stand the right against my window Cause he ain't here with me Hey, window pane Tell me, do you remember How sweet it used to be
are legendary. She doesn't necessarily diet or exercise regularly. She just lives well, eats right, and takes good care of herself. She is now a citizen in Switzerland and has lived in Europe for many years. She considers herself a Buddhist Baptist who practices Buddhism while still holding on to her Baptist roots. Her energy on stage is boundless. It's hard to believe her age as she outdances most of her younger dancers. From her album titled Foreign Affair, here's Tina Turner with Steamy Windows. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal.
In October of 1992, Tina Turner released her first greatest hits compilation album, Simply the Best. It includes all of Tina's comeback hits with a few special surprises thrown in for good measure. The album is Tina's best seller in the United Kingdom, where it is one of the best selling albums of all time with sales in excess of 2.4 million copies. It was certified 8 times platinum in the United Kingdom and stayed on the UK charts for over 140 weeks. The album has sold 7 million copies worldwide. Hmm. Tina Turner is satisfied with her life, but could she be thinking of retiring? Hmm. I don't know. But here's Tina as she explains. I'm basically an up person. Even in my, my worst moments there, I still found time to laugh and loud. It's my nature. Because you know, what can you do once it's done? You just must go forward. And that's, that's how I've lived my life. I'm f perfectly fine now if I never went on stage again. But in the event that I go, I'm always very happy to see the people. Yes, but the time will come. I have an instinct about it. And I think, I won't completely retire. I'll do something. My desire at the moment is to just sing quietly. The big venues, what people don't realize, is such a sound. And the vocal cord is fighting against all of that electric sound and speakers. You can't sing. No much how much control I try, as when I walk on stage, I'm always a little sharp or a little flat. And I'm beginning to feel that like a, and soon, I mean, I work to get to this point, so I'm not gonna say I'm ready to step down no. now. But just a different, intimate kind of a, a staging, so I could just sing for the people. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal as we present the life and the music of Tina Turner. Okay, let's see just how much you really know about Tina Turner. Here are five things that you as well as I probably didn't even know about Tina Turner. Number one, Ike Turner created Tina's raunchy onstage persona with golden wigs, sexy dance moves, and short miniskirts. Ike figured that any wife of his had to be seen to be the baddest woman in town but he would often fly into a jealous rage as a result. Number two, another admirer of Tina's was producer Phil Spector with whose help Ike and Tina sought to help them cross over into the rock market. Not only did he pay Ike $20,000 to stay away from the project, but during the recording sessions, Phil Spector pushed Tina to the limit in an extremely hot studio to the point to where she performed without a shirt. Number three, in 1976, Tina left Ike for good before a show in Dallas. She started her new life and career with only 36 cents and a gas station credit card. They divorced in 1978 with Tina accepting full responsibility for the debts incurred by canceled performances and unpaid taxes. Number four, after leaving Ike, Tina didn't get into another serious relationship until 1985 when she met a German record executive 17 years younger than her named Aaron Bach. They started dating and soon moved in together in Cologne. And finally, number five, the Tennessee State Route 19 between Brownsville and Nutbush was renamed Tina Turner Highway in 2001.
In December of 2005, Tina Turner was recognized by the Candy Center Honors at the John F. Candy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. President George W. Bush commented on Tina's natural skill and referred to her legs as the most famous in show business. Tina Turner is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and three of her recordings are in the Grammy Hall of Fame. She has won eight Grammys and at the age of 73, Tina Turner is the oldest person to be on the front cover of a Vogue magazine surpassing Meryl Streep. Tina has her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and the St. Louis Walk of Fame. Tina Turner has earned her success, starting over with just 36 cents and a gas station credit card. She now enjoys a fulfilling and peaceful life and has millions of fans all over the world. Her life and career are truly inspiring and her music remains vibrant and relevant to this day. Tina Turner is the real deal. My name is Dee Dwayne and I thank you for listening. The Real Deal is produced by Melody Productions, and we welcome your comments and ideas for future shows. We'd love to hear from you, so click that Contact Us button on this website and drop us a line. Always keep it real, and thanks again for listening to The Real Deal.